Hi there, and welcome back to the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. Sorry again for the midweek hiatus. Uh, Been a hectic week around here, and frankly, we just didn't feel like talking about the Brave series very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's a lot more fun to talk about fun things when the the team is good uh, than it is to talk about sad things when the team is not. Yeah, I mean, the, from this whole week was just kind of a disappointing week altogether. Although, like, it was. the Yankee series was a little less disappointing only because, you know, two losses were one player and it has it's, it's not really a cause for concern. Besides the other causes of concern, like the lack of offense and such. Um, but, you know, the two losses who were pinned on were because of Brad Hand. And in, in the first, I don't know why he pitched back-to-back days after pitching so many innings the day before. And then, you know, the day before he looked fine gave a leadoff walk and a couple blue pits so right yeah. so uh this week uh to to bring it back to center uh this mm-hmm. week the last time we talked to you the nats were uh 12 and 12 and they were in first place in the nl east now they are 13 and 17 after a one and four a week and or one and five weeks excuse me and they are now in last place in the nl east three and a half games back so frustrating Mm -hmm. uh this was a week in which they had two series that were winnable that they managed to one get swept and then two uh lose a series in which they led uh in two of the three games after eight innings and uh were tied after eight innings in the other one uh and, and like Johnny said, uh, this is the first sign of faltering that we've seen from the bullpen. It was from Brad Hand. Uh, the Nats have, you know, Hand blew a save on Saturday, uh, then blew a chance to put away the game in the 10th inning, and then in the game on Sunday, walked the first two hitters, and then uh, what happened thereafter was sort of a, a fait accompli. You knew... That once you walk two hitters to get to, you know, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, bad things are not going to, or, you know, DJ LeMahieu and Giancarlo Stanton, good things are not going to come of that. So, uh, I think we should start by talking about sort of the main overarching issues uh, with this team, and that really is the offense. Mm-hmm. Uh the Nats got Juan Soto back this week. Uh, he played in games. Uh, he didn't hit very much. He had two hits in the game on Friday. Uh, not much apart from that. But he's obviously not the main problem. Uh, the main problem is that the Nats have two guys in the middle of their order, in Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber. And Schwarber is, I mean, it's hard to say that he's really doing much uh, but he's certainly doing more than Josh Bell. Uh, yeah. Right now, it's it's. I mean, Bell. You're getting to the point with these two guys, where you have suitable backups for both positions. You have Yadier Hernandez, who's cooled off a lot since his hot streak, um, and Schwarber has been better than Bell, as you said. But then you have Ryan Zerman, who's playing some fantastic baseball and is getting at bats once, maybe twice a week now, because you know you you want to 
get Bell out of this funk. And so with that in mind, you know, the question is how much longer can you keep playing these guys in their position? Schwarber, you have a less desirable option as a backup, as I just said, with Yadiel Hernandez. You stick with Schwarber longer. But Bell, you might have to start, you know, thinking about maybe moving. You know, I wouldn't give up on Bell because you have him for two years. But you have to start thinking about your alternative. And is your alternative starting Zim? You can't bench Bell. You need to give him at-bats. Benching him is not going to solve anything. I mean, the question is, does he have options? Can you send him down to minor leagues to get, let him try to work on stuff? Because he's lost. He's Bef- completely lost at the plate right now. Before we even have that conversation, we do need to talk about the fact that, you know, it's it's been... Bell has now played in 21 games. 21 games is not a ton of games. Uh, it's still a pretty small sample size. But, it's you know, it's it's not to the point where you, you think of it as a meaningful sample. And I don't want to make it sound like that. But it's been a really, really bad 21 games. And the guy's hitting 141. Uh, he's not walking very much. He's not slugging very much. He followed up a home run on Friday with uh, a streak of 11 consecutive uh, hitless at-bats in which he had seven strikeouts. He's striking out a metric ton. Uh and, you know, you've got in, in Ryan Zimmerman, you've got not only a ready-to-made replacement, but a guy who is currently very, very hot. I, I mean, Zimmerman is right now the hottest bat in the lineup. He has the highest OPS of anyone on the Nats. Uh, and, you know, I don't think anyone's suggesting that you bench Bell, you know, permanently or anything like that. But at the same time, the Nats are losing a lot of games that they could be winning, you know, with more offense. And you've got an offensive player who's hot on the bench. Uh, and giving Bell the time to find it has resulted in some losses starting to, you know, add up. And in. Uh, Bell continuing to look lost at the plate, so you got to sort of find another alternative. Yeah, and good thing. I mean, you can't really stick with this too much longer. I feel like you're knowing what you got in Bell right now this year. I mean, it sucks because he was red hot out of spring, and you have to wonder what would happen if he didn't miss that time with on the COVID IL. And from the sounds of it, it sounds like he had, he had some symptoms, and you wonder if that's really playing a part in his, his struggle so far. It just really is a shame that this had to happen like that. It did. Uh, I mean, and, and you can't ever know what would happen in the alternative. But like, I don't. I don't think you know what you have in Bell in this season by any stretch. But twenty-one games is not a tiny sample size. No. Uh, I mean, it's not not enough to be meaningful or, or tell you anything about Josh Bell's true talent level. But at the same time, you know, I mean. I think we may all still be stuck in that sort of 2020 mindset where, you know, basically at this point in the 2020 season, the Nats had already played half their games. I mean, this is, they played 38 the games. They played 60 total. It's not like that this year. It's a, ba- it's a normal baseball season. And you do have still some runway. And again, we're just out of April, but 
you can't really afford to just sort of throw games away and throw offense away when you're struggling. Uh, and obviously you can't play Zimmerman six, seven games a week. So, you know, to an extent, the bench bell for Zimmerman conversation is academic because it, it can't happen. He can't play that many games a week. But, I mean, this is, this is where the Nats, you know, having to pull Harrison off their bench and make him the everyday second baseman hurts. The Nats, with Harrison available as a sort of super sub, would have so much flexibility that they don't have because Harrison has to play every day at second base. I mean, Harrison's hot. Harrison's been one of their better bats. And, and so, you know, the fact that he's in the lineup every day is good news. But the Nats have other holes that they want to fill, and they just, you know, they don't have the flexibility to move guys around anymore because Harrison has to play second base every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of like the biggest upgrade you can make because, again, as I said before, with the Adiel versus Schwarber, I don't really know how much of an upgrade that really is too much. You know, Yadiel Hernandez is the reason why he's a 33-year-old rookie who hasn't really gotten a shot in the majors, although he's looked fine this year. So, I mean, that's the biggest upgrade you can make right now. Um, I mean, the other black hole in the lineup right now is, is Starling Castro at third. But yep. Castro, well, and, and Robles. And Robles in center. Uh, the, Nats, the Nats have, well, Castro had a good series, and he's now... You know, he's not hitting for a ton of power. He's basically hitting for no power. And no walks. But, and no walks. But his batting average is up to 279. It's yeah, but it's the emptiest 279 you'll ever see. That's true. But at the same time, he's still out hitting Schwarber and Robles and obviously Bell. Uh, so, you know, Castro is a problem. And... I mean, Castro is, he probably won't give you that much more than that. But that's the kind of thing that you could live with. You could live with a OPS of around 700 from Castro if A, he was playing second base, and B, Schwarber and Bell were hitting to their career averages. But they're not doing that. Uh, and so you need to get creative and find offense elsewhere. Uh, obviously, Schwarber hit that home run in New York on Sunday. That was a good sign. But, you know, he's not he's not giving you a lot outside of that. And then Bell is obviously giving you much, much less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the Nats, they have Soto back. Uh, Soto, you know, seems to be working himself into the groove. Uh, he had three pinch hit appearances in the Braves series, went 0 for 3. Uh, the third one in a pretty big spot, uh, but he hit the ball hard. Can't really blame him yeah. for that. Uh, and um, you know, in, in the meantime, while he rounds into form, the Nats have to find ways to score runs. Their pitching has been more than adequate for them to win some of these games. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't great in the Braves series. Um, the, you know, Eric Fetty giving up uh, five runs to the, the Braves, uh, you know, Ross fighting through five 
and then Tanner Rainey giving up a grand slam to a pitcher. Uh, mm-hmm. Lester three and five, not not great starts, but you know the bullpen in those games managed to keep the. Those were all, with the exception of the first game of this week. Every game the Nats played this week was a winnable game, and they they lost pretty much all of them. Uh, you know, Corbin, in his start on Friday, somehow managed to get laser beams to hit be hit basically at everyone. Uh, managed to fight his way through three runs in six innings. Uh, you know, the pitching has been adequate. Uh, and Steven Strasburg should be coming back soon. It's it's possible, not this turn in the rotation, but the next one, uh, he might make a start. Uh, he threw mm-hmm. a 62-pitch uh, four-inning bullpen game, or sim game today. So, I mean, the, the Nats actually are one of the healthier teams in baseball right now. They only have, you know, Wander Swero will get back tomorrow or Thursday. Strasburg will get back soon after that. They won't have anyone on the IL. There are no excuses. Knock right on now. wood. Well, yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but, but at this point in the season, they're pretty close to full strength and they need to start you know, there's no more qualified success or no. moral victories. You gotta start winning these games. I mean, this there was is it, you, any way you look at it though. Last week is a tough schedule. You know, the Braves are a better team than playing. The Yankees are a better team than they've been playing. They are tough games, but you gotta go better than one and five. Yeah, I mean, and now we play the, the Red Hot Phillies, who have lost two in a row. We play like a decent Diamondbacks team, who and then the Cubs have been playing better. So it's not like the schedule gets any easier. Well, it's not a great schedule, especially not compared to April. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. I mean, it's it's a weaker schedule. It than is April. definitely is a weaker schedule. The Nats, you know, if they are a contender, should be going, should be above five hundred in this month. Mm-hmm. They should be. They they kind of have to be. Uh, they can't afford too many Aprils where they're a couple of games under 500. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's still impossible to tell what this team is. Uh, yeah. I think until I mean, we... It doesn't seem like at this point they're going to hit very much. It does seem like their bullpen is going to be good. It seems like, you know, the jury's still out on the rotation. Uh but obviously, the jury is not out on Max Scherzer, mm-hmm. who, even with his... It, it's really interesting, the way that he's been pitching this year. Uh, his fastball velocity seems to have dipped for basically the first time in his career. Uh, but his fastball seems to be his most effective pitch this year, which is, is just really interesting. He seems to be... I mean, in the Yankee game, he struck out 14 in seven and a third innings. Uh, and his most effective pitch, his most effective strikeout pitch was his fastball. Uh, he also threw a couple of really gorgeous change-ups, uh, threw a couple of really nice sliders to strike out guys. But, I mean, he is getting strikeouts with his fastball at a very high rate. Uh, his, his strikeout rate is down a little bit. Uh, his home run rate is up a little bit, uh, 
and his walk rate is way down. Um, so it, you know, he he is not regressing. He's slightly different, but pretty much the same. Uh, and you know, that's pretty much as much as you could hope. So you know, they've got Scherzer in a great place. Uh, and then obviously Corbin, who has been shaky, but reasonably effective over the last couple starts. Um, and then Lester, whose velocity was up in his last start, uh, but sort of struggled against the Braves. Uh, and then you've got Ross, who... I mean, it's it's hard to tell. He's still being weighed down by that one bad start. Uh, he was reasonably effective against the Yankees, although he didn't have great command of his fastball. And then Strasburg, you don't know what he'll be able to give you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's the team is in a weird place. Uh, the division in a whole is in a weird place. That's still true. Uh, it does seem like... There are teams who are starting to pull away a little bit or at least play better baseball in the Phillies uh, before they lost two straight. The Mets have been playing better baseball this week even though they lost to Grom. The Braves. I don't know. It's The team has a chance to start distinguishing itself against a schedule of teams that are all going to be around the 500 mark Mm -hmm. uh, or slightly better or slightly worse. Um, so if you're going to put it into gear, this is a good time to do it. Yep. And then let's, uh, look ahead to what they could put into gear. So this week they play the Phillies. The first game is tonight and two hours from recording. Hopefully this will get out before right. the game starts. Uh, it will, it'll be out before the game starts. If you listen to this before the game starts. Yeah. We got tonight. we got Eric Fetty versus Chase Anderson. Pretty much identical ERAs. Then we got Zach Wheeler versus John Lester tomorrow, and then Zach Eflin versus Patrick Corbin on Thursday at 1.05 p.m. So, uh, obviously, the Nats are missing Nola, but uh, Eflin has been great this year, and Wheeler's been even better, and even better of late. Uh, The Nats always seem to hit him well, but that's sort of a, a weird, fluky thing that might not actually mean anything. Uh, and in his last outing, Wheeler threw a two-hit complete game shutout. Uh, you know, there are some superstitions that some guys tend to struggle after outings like that. They're pretty much all bunk. No one's ever found any sort of post-gem uh, hangover effect. So probably don't count on that. Wheeler, obviously, you know what he's got. Fastball, 97 to 99. He's got that Warthen slider, one that's over 90. Uh, change up, curveball. He's a really good pitcher. Yep. Eflin, uh, the amazing thing about Zach Eflin is that he basically never walks anyone, um, which is cool. He's pretty hittable, but he doesn't give up free bases. Uh, and then there's Anderson, who... There's not very much interesting to say about him. The Phillies picked him up to round out the back end of their rotation, and he's done pretty much exactly what you'd expect. 
as in he hasn't been very good. Uh, the Phillies are in a weird place. Uh, their bullpen has basically been held together with straws and duct tape over the course of this year so far. Uh, they've had to make some some desperation moves, like uh, a lot of outings from Jojo Romero. Uh, they've been using, obviously, Hector Neris as their closer. They've been using Jose Alvarado in very high leverage spots, throws really hard. He's actually been effective so far, uh, which pains me to say because uh, I don't like those sort of flyers that people take on guys with control issues and high velocity uh, where he's, you know, he's persisted to have control issues and high velocity, but he's been effective. Um, the lineup is, is good and is bad. It's got some holes uh, and it's also got some superstars. Harper's been playing well this year, but he's been hurt. It's coming back from injury. He hasn't looked as great. Real Muta has been very good for them. Hoskins has been hot at times for them. And then it kind of falls off from that core. Right. You got... Right. Um, Gregorius has struggled. Uh, McCutcheon is just now sort of rounding into form. Uh, Boehm has been awful and, for them. Right. And then they've been getting essentially nothing from center field. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, they've basically been playing a a sort of three-man uh, platoon-type thing between Adam Hazley, who basically seemed to quit, uh, is now on the restricted list, Roman Quinn, who's hurt, and Odubel Herrera. Uh, Mickey Moniak has gotten some time in the outfield. Scott Kingery has been you know, up and down. Uh, they, went into, they went into this season without a plan at center field. Which just it strikes me as a weird thing for a team that spent all that money to bring all the guys that they did bring back back to do, uh, but you know they they've got a lot of talent. They've got basically three good pitchers, and they've got basically five good hitters. Uh, it's not a deep team, and uh, it's it's also. By the way, we forgot to mention uh, another guy, part of the uh, the glue and duct tape, or rubber band and duct tape, or however I phrased it before, that's holding the Phillies bullpen together, is Sam Coonrod, who the Phillies, uh, you know, he's a hard-throwing right-hander, hits 100 on occasion, complete waiver claim, you know, not a guy that was expected to be among those guys holding this bullpen together. But he's been doing a pretty good job. Um, I don't know. The Phillies, you know, I was talking about this earlier this week. Uh, this division has a lot of teams with questionable roster construction. Uh, and the Phillies are definitely one of those teams. They've got a lot of stars. They spend a lot of money on those stars. And then they've got a lot of holes uh, where mere adequacy would really improve the position of the stars but they don't get to adequacy so i mean the phillies are a wild card in this division they could be good uh they've certainly got the talent to be good you can certainly tell a story of them uh, as a talented team winning this division uh but they could also be held back by their flaws i mean 
be said of pretty much every NL East team. Yep. Uh, <sighs> so, one more Nat story to talk about. Some news that came out today. Longtime national great Jordan Zimmerman announces his retirement. Which is, uh, yeah, well, yeah it, uh, it really is a long time coming. I mean, that guy, the minute he left D.C., just fell off immensely. Um, well, so he, it was it was weird. In, in 2015, he pitched through some neck injuries. He gets the, you know, he, he throws plenty of innings, never misses a start. And in 2016, you know, he gets the big contract from the Tigers. Five years, $105 million. Uh, and basically immediately, he, he has one good month where his fastball velocity is down, but he's still super effective. And then ever since then, I mean, he's basically just sort of disappeared. It's sad. It is sad. Because th- that's a guy who deserves to be remembered. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a guy who, I mean, obviously... Basically, everything he ever did well in the major leagues happened with this franchise. Uh, and in an ideal world, you know, the Nats would have re-signed him in addition to Scherzer. And he would have gone on to be just as effective in the second half of his career as in the first half. And he would be getting a, you know, he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, but he'd be in the Nats Hall of Fame. I mean, that, that's that's the ideal. That's what you want from guys like that. Mm. Obviously, it didn't go down like that, uh, either for his tenure with the Nats or for the rest of his career. But he gave us plenty of great memories. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I saw that video saved of him throwing the no-hitter in 2014. I mean, he pitched from 2011 to his coming back from Tommy John to his last season with the Nats. He had a 314 ERA and nearly 1,000 innings pitched. You know, wasn't a high strikeout guy ever, really, in his career. Only 784 strikeouts. But, you know, he was a very effective pitcher. Definitely could go deep in games. Got you innings. Pitched nearly 200 innings. He pitched was up, pitched 213 in 2013. Was one in, 0.1 inning away from from pitching 200 in, 2019, in 2014. And then pitched over 200 again in 2015. So he was durable. He'd make 30 to 30, 32 to 33 starts at pretty much every season for you for you, a team. And that's all you could ask for for a pitcher. You know, give you good quality starts every time you go out there. Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, he was better than just good quality. I mean, so there was a there was a time. I mean, he finished in fifth in Cy Young voting in twenty fourteen, seventh twenty thirteen. I right. mean, yeah, it speaks a lot for him. No, there was a time in I can't remember if it was thirteen or fourteen. Probably when 14. he put together a string of twenty one consecutive quality starts. So he was. Like during his heyday, immensely consistent. He was consistently quality, mm-hmm. uh, and he was the first real Nats draft pick to turn into a quality starter. Uh, he was a part of some really great teams. Uh, I mean, I, I think obviously the no hitter is the thing that that people remember about him the most, and for good reason. Uh, if anyone wants a copy of the the ninth inning of uh, Zimmerman's no hitter on the radio. Uh, I have that, uh, but uh, the thing I'll always remember about him was that seventh inning of the 2012 NLDS game four. Mm-hmm. When he came out, he threw 
fastballs at 96 and 97 miles an hour, which was a tick above where he normally sat. Uh, he threw 11 pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts, and you know, 12 pitches to sort of con. 12 pitches, nine strikes. Excuse me, uh, but to contrast that game with today. Uh, you know, Zimmerman was always known as sort of a, a laconic, emotionless type of player. Uh, on that day, he was as fired up as you'll ever see a pitcher. He was jumping off the mound. Uh, and there's an iconic picture of him sort of uh, screaming after he finished that inning. And then today, uh, he had a press conference, and he actually teared up when talking about his major league career. And it's sort of a, a thing where you you recognize that, you know, this is a guy who wasn't emotionless or anything. He just reserved his emotions for the spots where they mattered the most. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's one of those players who, for Nats fans of a certain era, an era that we're going to be a part of, you know, they'll have fond memories of him. He'll sort of fade into the ether for the rest of baseball, but I don't think Nats fans who are around from 2009 to 2015 are going to forget Jordan Zimmerman. Yeah. Well, it's a shame. It's a shame Matt Williams didn't let him finish that game. Yep. Uh, I mean, it, it was just amazing. Those, those two starts. Back to back. Going from a no-hitter to a start where he retired 20 consecutive hitters mm. in a playoff game. God. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> damn you, Matt Williams. I mean, I, I don't know. And we can relitigate that if you want. Yeah, there's no point. The, pro- the, the problem is that, you know, I see what Williams was of thinking. Of course. We don't need to. Listen, we've was, talked about this infinite. We don't need to keep talking about it. I know, you know, Posey was, you know, Zimmerman was at 104 pitches, He's which is not a lot. 104. No, I just looked I it up. It was 100 pitches. Okay. It was 100 pitches. Uh, right. Uh, he was at 104. The 104 was, was no hitter. the last of his no-hitter. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was at 100 pitches, uh, which is not a lot, but he had missed a way to panic. Posey was coming up. Storin Slider was a good matchup for Posey. And obviously Posey was the best hitter in the lineup, and you only needed one out. I mean, it's very defensible. It was much more defensible than what he did in Game Four, but mm. you know it didn't work out. Uh, you can blame Storen's lack of intestinal fortitude, or whatever you want, but it it became, uh, you know, another memory in the Nats' string of playoff failures that sort of ended uh, in 2019 to a point where we can all get perspective on stuff like that. And it doesn't hurt quite as much. Yep. Anyway, kudos to Jordan Zimmerman on a great first seven years of his major league career. Uh, he's a, I don't know if you want to call him a Nationals legend, but he's definitely he's one definitely of those guys Nationals you legend. won't forget. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I mean, like he's not going to get a spot in the Nationals Hall of Fame or anything. I'm gonna give Jason Worth one. The Zimmerman was better at his peak than Worth was for the Nats. Yeah, but Worth changed the franchise, John. They didn't know that they were supposed to win games instead of losing them until Jason Worth showed up. Very true. 
Yeah, I don't know, but regardless of where you want, what regardless of where you want to put him, you know, he was a great pitcher for a couple of years at the Nats. He was the Nats, you know, him and Strasburg, the first Nats tandem of homegrown pitching superstars, uh, two-time All Star, really great pitcher, and a lot of fun to watch. Yep. So, wherever well, he goes next, we'll keep him in our minds. Yep. Well, that's it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back Thursday, Friday, Thursday maybe, after the Nats game to talk about the Philly series. That's what we'll do. All, All right. right. We'll see you then.